Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Before we start, I want to tell you about a few of the other shows that we run on Smashy. So one is called Unspoken. It's with Sabine Sassine and Fuad Hajar. They are interviewing well-known personalities in the region, talking about things that aren't often spoken about, hence the name Unspoken. We've also got a Smashy business show. Uh, we've got a lot of shows on Snapchat that we run also on the Smashy app in Saudi, Miman Kesser Social Media, uh, Miman Kesser Kora. Uh, who's crushing football and who's crushing uh, social media uh, and many other shows like that. Uh, so if you do want to check them out, you can download the Smashy app or, uh, or you can watch them on smart TVs uh, or you can check out our social media as well. So Dubai is busy again. Ramadan is over. Everyone had a nice Eid, I hope, since we last spoke. Uh, the food festival has started. I was down at the beach canteen this week and they've done an amazing job as well. Again, at that, it's event season back again. Not that it went away for too long. Uh, there's NAS Summit, a massive creator summit happening in Dubai this weekend. Uh, NAS Daily is the guy behind that, uh, Nusair, and they have all the best creators, or top, top creators from around the world coming in. It's an amazing event. I was at it the first time and smash your uh, proud media partners of that and we're looking forward to be at it uh, i'll be speaking on a panel on saturday at 2 p.m around personal branding and i'll also be giving a workshop about marketing in this new media uh, space on sunday at 2 p.m in madinat jamera uh, but uh, you know this week's interview is all about ux ui design product it's also a really interesting acquisition story uh, there have been big acquisitions in the region recently a partnership between uh kareem and uh you know for their super app and with uh, uh, as well as their exit uh to uber a few years ago so there's lots of interesting acquisition things that people are getting to learn from and i hope you enjoy the conversation Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. With us today is Catherine Hoff. She's the co-founder and managing director of Genealogy. They are a cross-cultural, product-led growth design agency, voted one of the fastest growing agencies in the Middle East. And they have a really interesting start story and also recent acquisition. So we'll hear all about that. Uh, the story of how Genealogy came about, the marketplace and competition and plans for the future. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Very last minute this morning, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last minute, you know, a guest pulled out, but but you, you guys were on our radar. You've had a recent acquisition uh, and you've been quite active in the market. So it's nice to chat. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. And uh, yeah, so how are things? How are things going? You were busy with proposals yesterday. It's busy time <laughs> of the year. It's a busy time of the year. And actually I had this same conversation with somebody at work yesterday. They were wanting to know why... Um, the last couple of months have been a little bit quiet and then all of a sudden things have got really busy and I think it's just actually a very telling time in the industry. There seem to be certain times of the year where we see peaks. Right now is we're kind of going into a busy time, we're coming out of Ramadan, people are kind of coming back to work. Um, and then again, towards the end of the year, you know, we seem 
we generally see, you know, people rushing to get stuff completed before the end of the year. So yeah, just lots going on right now. Really, really busy time. Amazing. And can you tell us a little bit about how genealogy started? Sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite an interesting story. Um, and myself and Cal, who set the business up together, we've worked together for over 10 years now. Um, we actually had a product design agency based in London and Shoreditch back in 2013. Um, and we ran that business for about five years. We had a lot of uh, well-known high-profile clients, of which HSBC was one. But interestingly, um, as time progressed, a lot of our business was not actually in the UK. So we were spending a lot of time in this region um, and also in South America, which is obviously completely opposite direction. Um, but we were working with IBM at the time um, in South America. They didn't have a lot of scalability in terms of uh, being able to deliver experience design for some of their local clients, whether it was in Mexico or Chile or Colombia. Um, and we somehow managed to sort of slot into that space with them. And we were helping them to um, pitch to clients. And then once those projects converted, helping them actually to deliver them. Um, and in parallel to that happening, we also um, picked up some clients here. And so there was this sort of natural introduction to IBM in this region. Um, and we had, we met them, we had a few conversations and, and those conversations accelerated. And um, we went through sort of an aqua hire with them uh, back in 2017. So we moved 15 of our people with their families and their cats and their dogs and their entire lives all across to Dubai. We did it in a couple of different phases. Um, and then we came across and we essentially started to run the experience team um, within um, IBM. Um, and then after three years, Cal and I were like, okay, we've we've done this enough now where we really want to do our own thing again um and you know we'd built up a lot of relationships over that time um and i think we all know that this region is very much about building personal relationships and so we thought okay right let's let's do this so we took that leap and then covid hit hmm. So it was a very interesting time, but I think because we were so new and we were quite small at the time, there were just three of us, um, we were able to just be incredibly agile and people, clients were, you know, people ringing us saying, oh, where are you? What are you doing? Um, and we talked about setting up this new agency and they started to say, well, we'd like to give you something small. Um, and we were happy about that because we were obviously only just getting our feet on the ground. And with the pandemic, we didn't really know how things were going to all play out. And a lot of what we do is obviously very digital based. We have digital collaborative tools, which means that we can work anywhere. We don't have to be in an office. So I think for those clients who were keen to still push forward during that time, they were able to make that pivot, if you like, of working remotely and working digitally with us. Um, we actually were able to build a really solid foundation um, of clients and projects. And then we've just seen this sort of natural growth ever since then. And, you know, at the end of the day, with what we do in our industry, the work speaks for itself. So if you do good work, um, those clients will keep coming back to you and then they will recommend you to other people as well. So that's essentially how it all started. Amazing so, story. Yeah, yeah. Nice lots story. of little um, movements and shapes and yeah. how you ended up here. But yes, thanks for exactly. explaining it. Yeah. I, I get it. I, I will delve into a little bit more about the services and what exactly you do and how you go about it. But just unpacking a bit of that. So, you know, uh, 
having an agency in Shoreditch is, is no mean feast, right? It's a competitive landscape in London. Uh, you know, how, how is that? How did you get into that? And how did you sort of navigate that? Because there's it's qu quite, um, there's quite a lot of design agencies in London and um, especially around, you know, that area. Uh, how did you carve out that sort of uh, brand and build that business and gain the trust of clients? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's, it's a hugely competitive landscape. Um, way, way more competitive than it is here, actually. Um, it's saturated. Um, and I think the way we were able to make a success of that business was knowing that we, we went into that with clients already. We knew that we had some partnerships and they were prepared to give their business to us. So that, that was a really good starting point for us. Um, we've got a lot of experience within the financial sector. So that was kind of how HSBC came to be about. And, um, we have had people and relationships with HSBC for a long time. So we were able to service their business and work with their digital team. So that really helped us to set the business up in London. And you know what, that's actually why we ended up moving here because the market was so saturated and we genuinely struggled with finding clients in London and mm. in the UK because it was so competitive. And I'm not going to sit here and say it was super successful because it was really, really hard. Um, and actually, we made a number of mistakes with that business. And I think coming here now, you know, we've learned from all those experiences. And obviously, you know, we've, we've now got a success story, even much more so than, than in, from when we were in London. But it, it was just, you know, a massive learning curve. And we, we spent a lot of time meeting other agencies, actually, and other people who we could potentially partner with as a way to get into clients and business because it was just so hard. You know, when you're competing against the likes of Sapiens and the AKQAs, you know, you you have to have a really compelling offering and story. So, mm. um, yeah, it was difficult. And it was, um, yeah, a lot of our business, as I said, came from outside of the UK. Yeah. We just happened to live there and be there. <laughs> yeah, you definitely would have learned how to navigate agency landscape a bit, you know, as you said, sort of find partnerships and things yeah. like that and navigate how to work with clients. And the second uh, question I had is related to when you mentioned the South America part with IBM, you said that you helped them pitch for business. What, what were they pitching for and how did that work in terms of what they do? So um, essentially, you know, part of their experienced team, um, we were essentially part of their team. You know, we weren't ever pitched as an external partner. Um, and it's just helping to deliver the right experiences within a pitch document. So if it's, you know, some kind of transformation product, if it's okay. a, a product design or something like that, you know, we would help them to deliver design thinking workshops to get some of those um requirements from clients and then we would help help them to shape that into a proposal um, sometimes even helping to sell that in and then um, if that was unconverted we would then help them to deliver it as well so that is a business line for them yeah yeah absolutely okay. yeah, yeah, yeah i wasn't yeah, yeah. aware okay yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. and that's that's why they hired you guys because they were it wasn't just an internal or an added value offering for their hardware it was more it was actually a business line for them yeah absolutely well. yeah. and you know obviously businesses change and grow and, and move on I, I don't know what their their core focus is right now but IBM have absolutely got an you know an experience offering um mm. people think that they're just a tech organization and obviously they've made great moves into the cloud space but there's there's a whole experience that underpins all of that tech 
Um, and it was, I don't want to say it was an easy sell, but it's, it's, it's a very tight partnership of experience and technology. And, and obviously that's what we still offer now with being part of the Monster Lab group. But it's, that's what we essentially helped IBM to do, yeah. Okay. And then, you know, the, your services then, uh, can you just walk us through the sort of general services that you offer? Yeah, so it's, so you... It was a bit of a mouthful, I think, when you introduced yeah. <laughs> us in terms of what we do. And I don't know if that's actually very clear for people, but I guess essentially what we do is, you know, we are a product design agency. But these days when we talk about product design, it's a lot bigger than just UX and UI. So we do um, experience strategy. So we look at, we go in to see clients and we kind of want to help them to understand what their digital strategy is. Sometimes we might create that for them. Um, sometimes we might plug into a strategy that they already have. Um, and then we help them with understanding what products they need. Um, it's, you know, we talk about digital transformation and obviously it's, it's very, very broad, but, you know, we, we cover a lot of that digital transformation um, type stuff as well. Um, and now that we are, I keep saying we're part of the Monster Lab group, you know, there's the whole tech offering as well. So we kind of like to say that we offer full end-to-end -end digital services to clients. So, um, but, but based around that kind of product piece as well. Mm. Uh, we'll get to the Monster Lab. Sure. Uh, but just the, so say, for example, in the financial sector with HSBC, what was your piece of, what was your scope of work for a client like that? So um, we worked with their digital team. One of the um, biggest pieces that we delivered for them was a, a design language system. And it's still a very, very big thing these days. And we're still working on and delivering design language systems for clients in this region as well. Um, and essentially what that is, is it's more than just like a brand system. It, it's kind of designing and building every single component and movement of those components um, digitally that can then be picked up and utilized by any team within the bank. So that was a global design language system. So that was utilized by their retail teams, by, the, by their business teams, by whoever. Um, but we helped them to you know, shape their mobile app offering. We helped to build their corporate banking platform. So it's, you know, it's like quite fundamental digital products that you know we've kind of worked on designed and delivered interesting and we talked a little bit off air at the start about you know startups and how important product is for you know a founder might have a great idea for an app or uh and then it's often down to execution but execution usually is getting the product right something that people will use do you work with startups as well we do and We've literally just helped a particular, they're a media company as well, based in Dubai. Um, they were wanting to very specifically target millennials and Gen Zs. And, I think um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it might and they, begin with a B and then with might, an X. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> okay. And they came to us because they had a business idea um, and... We had worked with some of the founders previously, but the business was brand new. There was no history. Um, and we helped them to play out what that brand was. 
Um, and then we converted that into what that digital experience would be. So yes, we absolutely do work with startups. It's got to be the right startup. And, you know, we need to know there's got to be some investment um, and that we believe in it as well. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah. Is, how, you know, compared working with startups and say, you know, working with financial clients, like we mentioned, there's a lot of compliance, the, you know, the, the work in one regard, uh, it's part of a big global group, but in another regard, there's a lot of red tape, it's slow. Um, do you tailor your offering depending on the, the type of company you work with? We might tailor the way in which we work. I don't think we tailor the offering as much because experience design is universal and, and, and we, we think in the same way, I guess, whether it's a startup or, or, or a financial organization. What I would say about financial organizations is we try to be working with the innovation teams because they will navigate on our behalf those complexities and compliance that the bank has to deal with. So we try and operate as much as we can outside of the network. And then at that point where we know we then need to engage and we need to kind of get back inside the network, that's when we kind of work with those internal teams to kind of push stuff back in. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we are about bringing the best in breed to any application and to an experience, whether that's a startup or a bank. So we try not to let compliance get in the way. And we're always trying to think about ways of making some of those compliant things, if it's a KYC process, for example, for a customer, how can we actually make that a better experience for them whilst understanding some of those, you know, complexities with compliance? Okay, interesting. And th this business that you started sort of after IBM in Dubai, uh, how did you approach it differently with, you know, and what decided that? Was it learnings from the first business or was it that uh, the industry has changed in, in sort of 10 years? Uh, and, uh, you know, or did you say, well, let's just focus on the things that worked and go after this certain sector? Or is it the same makeup of an offering, the same business as before? Interesting question. I think it's, it's a combination of what you've just said, actually. So we, we've come to realize what we're very good at. And I think we were potentially going too broad when we had the business in London. And um, we've really focused in on product. Um, and we've got the right people to help us do that. I think other naiveties around running a business from, you know, cash flow perspective, from having people on your books when they haven't got any billable time, just, you know, learning how to manage that operational piece as well was a big part of, of resetting up. And I think that was one of the things that almost helped us during COVID and being remote because we didn't have to manage all of those huge, um, I guess, operational costs that you have when mm. you have huge premises that you have to manage and look after. So there's, there's, there was, there was that learning, but I think also being here in this region as well, understanding the type of requests that were coming in from clients and knowing how we could make a difference. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of room for entrepreneurship and business here. And even though the, you know, the industry to a point is dominated by, you know, the likes of, Sapiens and PwCs and Deloitte's, whatever, there's still a lot of room for agencies like us. Mm. Um, and I think we're testament to that fact with, you know, the success we've seen in the three years that we've been running. Okay. And talk a little bit about that success. Uh, how, how can you, what, 
sharing. Can I quantify that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen like massive year-on-year growth. You know, I think we're talking about 42% year-on-year growth, which is way above the average for kind of agencies of, of our nature. Um, we've grown in size from, you know, three of us to there's now nearly 48 of us. And then obviously now as part of the acquisition, we've got this whole other, um, resource pool that we can tap into, um, you know, revenue is just increased significantly. So it's just growth in every single area Mm. that That kind of defines that. Yeah, definitely. That, that does describe it well. Um, so the acquisition, uh, you still operate under the standalone name, but late last year you were acquired by Monster Lab. Uh, how did that come about? And can you explain a little bit about them as well? I'm going to be really transparent and just tell you such a wonderful story because um, we set the business up with an intention of selling. And I think we'd always talked about the three to five year mark because you need time for the business to grow and, you know, for us to manage the profitability and, and, and make it appealing to sell. But, and we, we were doing a great job already after a couple of years. And um, back in 2021, there was um, some cricket tour that was on and um, a friend of a friend was um, managing the event, I think. And she'd said, oh, would you guys like to come along? I've got some tickets, whatever. Um, And a few of us went along and we were introduced to one of her friends and he runs um, an executive recruitment business who had been just acquired by Monster Lab as well. And uh, we ended up having a good conversation and it turns out that we knew a lot of same people and he was recruiting in our industry. So there was a lot of common ground. Um, And towards the end of the day and the evening, you know, he said, oh, it'd be quite interesting for you to meet our CEO. I think he'd really be interested in you guys. I didn't really think anything of it. And, you know, Cal and I went and had a conversation about it. The next thing we know, literally within a week, we had, you know, a little LinkedIn message. Uh, I'm the PA to the CEO of Monster Lab. He's coming to Dubai. He'd really like to meet you. So we kind of mm-hmm. not laughed it off, but we just thought, okay, fine. You know, let's see where this goes. And that was how it started. Mm. Um, and we had a great conversation with him the first time we met him. And, you know, we took our, com- our laptops and computers and we, you know, we had a full creds deck to show him. But actually it was a really nice natural conversation like this. And we talked about some of our, the ways we work and the type of clients. And I think he just got a certain energy from us. Um, and we just progressed conversations for about six months. And then we spent another six months going through due diligence and lots of lawyers and conversations to actually make it happen. But I guess from when we've had that first conversation, it was, you know, less than a year. So it was a very, um, very quick um, acquisition, but really super, super exciting and, you know, really gives us a, another, I guess, a springboard and a different platform for us to now be able to to operate at. And where before we could really only talk more around that design and strategic piece, we've now got that full delivery capability as well. So um, it, it, it just gives us a lot more... Um, kind of power I guess and it's more of a compelling story when we go in and talk to clients fascinating well congratulations thank you you achieved what you set out to do <laughs> in, in record time, time. ahead <laughs> <laughs> of time yeah so but for strategically for Monster Lab what what was their vision and what do what's their offering and how did you fit into that 
So they are on a hugely aggressive growth trajectory. You know, they want to be up there with those top four consultancies. So they have got huge growth targets. Mm. Um, they've just IPO'd as well. Uh, that happened on the 28th of March, I think, this year. So again, another okay. exciting chapter for us all to be going through. Um, and they fundamentally set out as a technology company and they are you know, looking and working in a lot of the emerging tech spaces. Um, but they do see that experience design is a fundamental part of the overall offering. Mm. And they didn't have a strong enough experience offering, I think, without us. They, you know, they do have a lot of very good experienced designers, but I think what they saw in us was almost like an engine to help drive and push that's part of the business. So although we are still running as a separate entity, we have essentially taken over running the experience practice within Monster Lab. So Cal is, is, is kind of the SVP of, of experience um, for experience. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. Obviously lots of, you know, integration. Yeah. Yeah. interesting challenges ahead of us but, as, as is normal as ex expected exactly. but yeah so fascinating so you kind of had two exits one acquihire and one sort of merger type exit like that and it's interesting you said you set it up to sell what what does one do in that regard or how, how are you strategic about it do you if you bootstrap do you aggressively go after further early growth so it looks attractive or what are the things that you're doing to make it uh, acquirable um, it's a combination of two things in my view. It's the bottom line. You've got to be hugely profitable um, and you've got to have the right balance of clients. Um, and obviously the work's got to be interesting. Um, and I think we were able to strike the balance with all three of those um, quite early on. And I think, you know, as, as I said, the, the pandemic for a lot of people was not great, but it absolutely totally helped to set us up for success. And we we had to manage um, how best we could use people. Um, and we have got this sort of laser focus on how we spend our money, because at the end of the day, if we're not profitable, then we're not attractive to a potential buyer. And actually, in terms of, you know, aggressively going out there for a buyer, that, that wasn't what we were doing because we're so early on in the journey. Um, but I think when these conversations and things happen naturally, you just have to take a step back and go, you know what, actually, this was maybe meant to be right now. And I look at what can potentially lie ahead of me with a company that's about to IPO. Mm. And that's a really nice story and an exciting journey for us to be on and for us to share with our team as well. Yeah, interesting. And, um, you know, so what, what happens now in terms of the integration? Uh, was there a conscious decision to keep the name as opposed to the last time? Was that one of the thinking behind it? Yeah, it's... The IBM experience is very different and I don't want to go into all the details of that, but I think yeah. we learned a lot from that and we were very keen to maintain our own identity we were very keen to be able to operate and run the way that we have been running because essentially that's why they were interested in acquiring us because of our successes I think and, and the way that we run that said we are keen to share that with the wider team at Monster Lab and we absolutely are doing as much as we can to kind of you know integrate 
all of the experienced teams with the way we work. Um, and the business at Monster Lab is, is kind of set up into two geographical regions. So you've got Japan Plus, which is where head office is and um, the bulk of the work happens there. But then we've got international markets, which I think covers around 20 odd different countries and entities. Um, and we are working with all of the international market teams. So we're working with people in the US, in Europe, you know, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, mm. um, and then in... Um, We've got other uh, entities as well within this region as well. So we're trying to bring everybody together. And I don't know if the name is going to stay for the duration of the next, you know, two to three years. I think we need to see how the business actually grows and develops. Um, but for now, everyone's kind of happy that genealogy exists and we're running as a separate entity. So yeah. we're kind of, you know, trying to bring everybody on our journey as well. It's probably a bigger question for how firms like Monster Lab position themselves in terms of, you know, traditionally consultancy firms or firms like that didn't necessarily compete with agencies. And then they started having sort of digital specific arms and you know, while their big clients know what they do, it, there's a lot of sort of positioning out there. And of course, traditional agencies, digital and creative, are uh, see them now as competition, whereas they didn't before. So is that part of it? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of crossover with what people do now. Everyone's kind of moving into each other's spaces. Um, at its core, you know, you still go to certain people because you know that they will be skilled in xyz whatever that may mm. be um but there's there's, there's definitely a, a, a big crossover but i think the other thing that you you touched on is you know monster lab have been on a bit of an acquisition journey and you know they are um bolstering their offering and you know we are we have not been the only acquisition there's been another one in in saudi there's been another one um i think in europe as well so there there is and there will be an overall strategy to manage how those entities all kind of essentially roll up into Monster Lab. But at some point, it will all be Monster Lab. And we increasingly talk about Monster Lab as opposed to genealogy. And, you know, we've gradually started the co-branding of the two companies, for mm. example. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, we just need to see how that, how that yeah. all plays out. But I want to ask about how you set up here before we f finish, but just on the same topic about M&A, because traditionally, especially if you're running, say if you're running an agency in London, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, or if you're an independent agency, and people say would set up to exit, it was typically M&A through one of the big holding groups, whether it was Publicis, Omnicom, or WPP. And, you know, over the 80s and 90s, they were very aggressive in buying up smaller big shops and things like that. But that's changed a bit. And what they go after now is different. But also, you know, you you have two examples that isn't that type of a, an exit. Uh, so it just shows how things have kind of evolved as well. Yeah, definitely. I think... You know, when when you are acquired as a business, you know, not only are they buying your potential profitability and revenue, but they're buying into the people that you have. And actually, if you don't look after those people and kind of secure them in the right way, they'll just exit. And I think what Monster Lab have been trying to do with us is, you know, secure us and secure the team so that we are... I guess, tied in for a period of time, but actually there's an incentive to then stay. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, 
what you were just describing was all very sort of transactional, I think. And I think what people are trying to do now is they're just trying to build more strategically. And um, yeah, I think just look after those people that are part of that acquisition because otherwise the whole, the whole thing falls flat if you just lose the core teams and those core people. Exactly, like listen to them if they feel that they need the brand or it's more partnerships now, isn't it? Than Definitely. Than pure transactional. Yeah, and, and actually they weren't very dictatorial when we went through the whole, you know, terms of, of the deal. And they're, and they're still, and I think that was one of the reasons, one of the other reasons we decided to do this was because culturally we felt that there was a really nice fit between the executive team and us. They were very willing to take on board everything that we discussed. Um, and we've had very honest conversations with them. And that's been really nice because actually we've been able to build good relationships with them, which then enables us to have those really honest conversations Um so, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um, fascinating. Uh, so, you know, starting off in Astro Labs, you mentioned off air before it, uh, and, uh, you know, I was taking a little bit about, you know, pandemic. So you were kind of a remote first company. Yeah. Does that help with working with the types of skill sets that you need? And, you know, as much as uh, an acquisition company needs to sort of uh, retain you guys, you still need to be adjust with how you employ staff and things like that is that very much the makeup of how your business operates now yeah so um when we set up as a remote first business what it did was just opened up the entire global resource portfolio to us because people didn't have to be here in dubai um we had a lot of uh, relationships with uh people in Turkey who we'd previously worked with, you know, whether they were UX designers, UI designers, and there was, there's a lot of great talent in that part of the world. So um, we were able to encourage them to come and work with us. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're a developer or a UX designer or a UI designer or copyright, whatever, so long as you're able to do your work and share it with the teams, it doesn't matter where you are. And obviously now that we've come out, so that that whole borderless thing was, was a great offering for us. And actually that's something that Monster Lab still talks about in terms of our overall offering being borderless. But now that the world has opened back up again, although we still try and be as remote as we can, obviously I said to you earlier, you know, relationships here are really super important. So we've just got a really nice blend of having a team of people on the ground here. We have to, our clients demand it. But actually, we are able to leverage all of those people that we still work with, whether they're in the Ukraine or Turkey or Portugal or the UK, they still work with us mm. and they still work remotely. Um, sometimes we'll bring them in for particular projects. We have a half year party. We'll fly them in for that. So, you know, it's very much balancing mm. the type of skill sets that we need with having people on the ground and, and then having this kind of borderless approach. Interesting. But Catherine, you kind of make it look easy. <laughs> because if people are listening, you know, you only moved to Dubai five, six years ago. Uh, you set up a company during the pandemic and you've already made a success and sold it. Like, is it easy? <laughs> um, no, it's not easy. <laughs> it's very, very hard work. Um, long hours, lots of long hours. But you know what? We are all really passionate about what we do, and that helps. Um, it gives you the energy and the drive to keep going. Um, and I think, you know, 
there is so much scope and opportunity in Dubai. And although we've only been here for about five or six years, we, as I said to you previously, we were flying in and out for project work anyway. So we've been working in the region for at least 10 years. Um, and what I love about being in Dubai is the type of opportunities that we are exposed to here is way more than we'd get in London. You know, I was talking to you about the saturation of the market and fighting for, you know, like a 30 or 40K project. Mm. Whereas here, there's just so much more scope and there's a lot more room to play. And I think with those bigger projects, you just get so much more experience. Um, and it's really lovely to be a part of the journey that this region is on. Mm. And it is so different from... When I was in the UK and you, you had a vision of coming to this region and thinking, uh, maybe I'll kind of end my career there. You know, I'm not really too sure how it is. But it's, I love the ambition here. And, you know, Saudi's the same. Um, and it's just really nice to be a part of it. And no, go back to your question, it's not easy. Mm. I don't want to say we've been lucky because, you know, we have to do something right. We have to deliver good work at the end of the day. I think it, it's it's a combination of being in the right place at the right time um, and having, you know, 25 years of experience in this industry. So it's not our first rodeo. We've learned from our mistakes. We know what we need to do mm. um, and, and just kind of being laser focused. Interesting. But there is sort of a level playing field here, isn't there? If you put a proposal, like say you submitted a proposal last night, if that's evaluated in the same level as any of the big names that you you have you've got a shot if you're if you're there you've got a shot and then it's up to your ability to execute on that in terms of your reputation yeah. for retaining it but and in in london it's kind of harder to get in the door isn't it it's much harder to get in the door purely because there's there's so much competition mm. um the one thing i would say about you know having a fair shot at things and having a level playing field here i do feel that there is sometimes this mismatch between the business teams that we talk to within our clients and then the procurement teams because those procurement teams sometimes not sometimes all the time just look at a number mm. so if your number is way more than a competitor you there may not be a conversation you might just get pushed out yeah so unless you have those really good relationships with the business where they can almost speak on your behalf and say oh you know let me try and understand where they're coming from and actually there might be a reason for this mm. um it's not always as easy. So if you've got those relationships, then you might have a bit more of an advantage when you're coming to, you know, submitting things like that. Yeah, that's a good insight. Um, yeah, definitely on the procurement side as well and price point. And so, uh, so do you think you have kind of leverage on pricing, you know, with this sort of remote work? Uh, because obviously, you know, having a lot of people in Dubai, the prices, there could be the price that you have to charge have to cover all those costs um so is the design of your business now profitable because you've been able to work with uh people in different countries yeah. of different economics you know it all balances out at the end of the day but i think without doubt that's definitely helped us um you know it's obvious if you have a low uh, staff cost base then that's going to play into your your profitability mm. but on the other hand we do have to have those senior resources who do cost a lot of money to make sure that we do deliver those superior products to clients. So yes, is the answer that's definitely helped. But I think the fact that we don't have any massive, huge fixed overhead, you know, with premises and stuff like that, that definitely has helped us um, 
from a profitability perspective. Yeah, and a couple of directions I could go with this, but interesting you mentioned about, you know, we're talking about the region and the opportunity here. Uh, you know, there was a LEAP conference in Saudi recently, and uh, I think there was 170,000 people at it. Uh, I, didn't, I don't know if you... We were, had colleagues that were there. Yeah, well, I didn't go, but there yeah. were a lot of our colleagues went, yeah. Interesting. And, and so, you know, just kind of one of the talks on the stage was all about uh, VCs and all about companies that were launching and numbers were shared about unicorns and IPOs and things like that. And, you know, it's all well and good to sort of have the VC part of that and the entrepreneurs, but the other elements that are needed to turn these companies into those markups or you know there's there's comms pieces that's needed there's obviously product and design so you know it, it just fascinated me really that like there's so much opportunity and uh uh you know how do you view that so saudi again is probably you know a couple of years behind dubai so there's even more sort of excitement and an appetite for um i guess progress at the end of the day um, I think we are working with um, a client in Saudi currently, and actually that is their role. They are helping to incubate um, innovative companies to offer products. And the offering is not just about helping them to design a product, but it's giving them the business skills and acumen that they will need along the way to help them deliver that product and to help it be successful. So there's a lot of investment that this particular client is putting into this innovation hub, if you like, to encourage and help and support people to be able to deliver something that actually is really meaningful, not just something that's been designed, but helping them to navigate their way through that kind of whole business process. Mm. Interesting. And would that be part of Monster Lab? Would you be having uh, more, it does depend on winning business and clients or would it be a strategic focus to have an offering, say, in Riyadh? Definitely strategic focus, yeah. And we we do have an office in Riyadh. Actually, Monster Lab recently opened an office, I think a couple of months ago. Mm. Um, and we've we've taken that as a strategic direction that we need to be in that part of the world. We have got clients that are growing rapidly there and we need to be able to service them um and we are helping them with you know their strategic vision as well as kind of physically delivering as well we just need to find more people <laughs> good people which is hard <laughs> it's, uh, good people in market it's hard yeah i mean there's a there's a talent drought right now um in this region i think That's globally funny. actually it's uh it's hard to find good people. It's hard to pull them away from um, the big four. You know, they pay very, very handsomely. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not just us that is challenged with that. You know, it's everybody, to mm. be honest. But we've got an amazing recruiter who somehow just manages to find great people for us. You work with an agency for that? We have an uh, a small an agency, individual. an yeah. individual um, yeah. who we've worked with for 10 years. Mm. So she knows us, she knows how we work, she knows our minds, and she just finds the right people for us. Sounds like a good asset. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So Catherine, you, you've exiled the business. You probably, you know, are passionate about the region. Or, well, that's my question, really. Uh, are you still optimistic and bullish on the region? Do you see yourself here for the foreseeable future? Very much so, yeah. I think that's when... When I first came here, probably like most people, oh, I'm just going to go for two years. 
and you know we're here five years later on a very different journey and uh, we did have a, a senior leadership meeting a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about you know what are our plans for this year for next year how are we going to grow you know usual kind of company strategic meetings and um, at the moment there is a lot of focus on this region um, because the work's there and the business is there. And I think there was this divided opinion about s not splitting the risk, but, you know, leveling where our work is coming from so that it isn't all in this region. And I, I agree with that to a point. But on the other hand, as I've been saying, you know, in other parts of the world where digital transformation is a lot more advanced than we are seeing here. It's a lot harder to get those projects. You're fighting against more people. And my view is that we need to be here and we need to maximize as much of this market as we can right now, because it's just going to continue. It will, you know, push out into Qatar. It will continue growing in, in Saudi. So as will Dubai and Abu Dhabi. So it, there's there's a lot more to come, mm. I think. So I don't intend going anywhere yet. <laughs> <laughs> not, not chill on the beach Apart, for a you while. Know, maybe ask me that in the middle of the summer and I'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting a bit hot. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating outlook. It's kind of like, you, you know, the famous American investor Warren Buffett always said, uh, you know, bet on the USA, bet on America. And you know, if you look at GDP growth and comparable, the UAE and UAE is growing faster than, say, UK. And people will say, why? You know, and they'll say oil or whatever. But actually, you're right. Like, if if you believe in that, then bet on it. Bet on the UAE. Then, you know, and yeah, it's risky putting all eggs in one basket. But actually, it needs that sort of focus sometimes if you believe in it. Otherwise, there's a risk of uh, being too dispersed and sort of... Uh, yeah, diluted. Yeah, and I'm not saying to the rest of the team, don't focus on these other countries where we do have business. You know, keep going that, keep pushing. But there needs to be an investment in this region uh, yeah. and a real push to just kind of, you know, if, if Mozilla have got these huge aggressive growth targets, we need to maximize being here. And we have every opportunity to do that. We just need to continue what we're doing, just scale what we've got um, and really be able to kind of, you know, offer, you know, a good, uh, you know, a good compelling story to our customers. Fascinating. Uh, so market entry and things like that, like say comparing with South America and the countries that you operated there, uh, sometimes I use the analogy that the Gulf and UAE and KSA is a bit like the US, whereas the rest of the region here, whether it's Egypt or Iraq is more like South America, like the mm -hmm. economies and Pakistan, like the, the price points and the economies are, are different to the US. But is that is that a factor or do you just see sort of this region as emerging market like LATAM is or do you break down this region a bit? Yeah, we do break down the region a bit. Um, and we have been having some discussions lately around, you know, where else should we be looking at in the region? Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we could still be looking at Egypt, but we might look at it with a different focus. Maybe it's more about a resource management piece for us. So maybe we actually look at getting people from Egypt to work with us as opposed to targeting businesses in Egypt. Um, so we are, you know, focusing our efforts very much on where we know um, those countries have got a clear vision and a mandate to develop and transform um, their kind of ecosystems, I guess. So it's very focused 
on okay. where we need to be. Okay. Well, it's, our time's up. It's a pleasure talking this morning. It's a fascinating journey you've been on, and I'm sure it'll have lots of turns and roundabouts as well in the future. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice Thank to you. meet you. Thank you. Thanks, you Richard. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a very smashy, driven dreamers, doers, as we say, uh, interview with on Smashy Business. A really fascinating story. And I had lots of things that I kind of could relate to. I used to work in Shoreditch in London before I moved to Dubai. Uh, and so I know how competitive it is over there. And also what they've done uh, to build the business so fast is really impressive. If you did like that industry and that topic, I'd refer you to an episode we had in February. Uh, with Sadeep Shah, He's the, he was the founder and CEO of Digital of Things, so they're very similar proposition in one regard, if you like that type of company as well. As usual, I'd like to thank everyone who's in the behind the scenes putting the show together. So Ali Khalil, uh, producer, uh, editing the video and audio. Uh, Shahir is also a producer who looks after the guests and the distribution and the Love and Dubai team who will write articles on this and the rest of the Smashy team who will make vertical videos and push this out in their social media. So thank you for that. Thank you for you to have listened. Uh, we'll be back next week at 11 a.m. on Saturday, on Friday with another episode. <laughs>